Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters. This is Pastor Sean Smith. I'm your host today. I'm gathered here today with uh, Pastor Jonathan Jonathan Fisk. See, I told you I can't do this. You can do Pastor it. Pastor Jonathan do it. Fisk. You can do it. <laughs> Mr. Peter Slayton and Pastor Peter Ill, our regular compadre of compatriots of confessing. There you go. Something or others. Concordians. Uh, Concordians. There we go. I forgot what we came up with, but it's been a while since we've been on together, but it's great to be back with you guys. And excitement is teeming in the studio today. I mean, just <laughs> overflowing. We're giddy. We're moving on to a new article. Not just a new article, but two articles combined into one. I mean, this is like big bang for your buck kind of stuff going on. For the here. record, we love justification. Oh, it's still <laughs> going to be, be wrong loved about it for this. the last year We love year justification, it's but it's been a be long there. time in justification. <laughs> yeah. But, but really, as we get into these articles on the church, we get to talk about justification applied. It's not the justification kind of as a, like a mental abstract, but instead it is justification where it meets sinners for the forgiveness of sins. And and so everything that we've been talking about is going to roll into application to folks uh, and to God's folks. This is why I love having Pastor Ill on with us. There's there. I mean, you can just take over a show and I'm talk. so sorry. No, it's no, that's great. a good oh, thing. Okay. We really this is need a positive that. thing. And it's and it's good stuff. Good energy. I like the energy. Great. Everybody energy. missed oh. out on the. And, everybody uh, who's not in the studio gotta... missed the flailing. I almost hit Peter Slayton. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like five arms. feet away I from know. you too. But it's a good day. It, it is a good day to read the Book of Concord. It's a good day on Conquer Matters as we talk about positive energy. Oh, no. Oh, no. You did. There went the energy. I did. I killed it. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) moving on. But we are talking about the church. And this is Article 7 and 8 together uh, in the Apology. uh, In the Augsburg Confession, it's Article 7, and they kind of combine this together with Article 7 and 8 in the Apology. And we're going to be talking about the church, and and you're exactly right. I mean, that was very well stated, uh, Pastor Hill, about how this this ties in uh, to justification and action, if I can put it in that sense. I I feel a little on shaky uh, theological ground to put it that way, but it it really is in a sense. No, I'm good. I I like that yeah. kind of an expression of it because when when we start to say things like justification applied, the the typical American move is to think about our works. But instead we say, no, the church is where justification is applied, not uh by me to others, but rather justification is applied by Jesus to us. And and that is the whole theme of this. Uh, to take a step back though, and remember uh, briefly the connection between the Augsburg Confession and the apology or the defense of the Augsburg Confession, uh, as it's going to get into the opponents and so on here in a minute. The uh, Philip Melanchthon and the Confessing Princes presented the Augsburg Confession with its articles uh, at 
Augsburg, the Roman Catholics sent back wagon loads full of disputations uh, of where they disagreed with it. And uh, Melanchthon's going to get into this a little bit, but the Roman Catholic opponents rejected Article 7 and said, well, Article 8's okay, but Article 7 we, we reject. And so this whole article is, well, had you read 7 and 8, you actually don't have a problem with 7 either, but uh, <laughs> Melanchthon's going to get there. He's a little bit snarky, so it's a it, it's always good when Melanchthon is snarky, too. Uh, yeah, well, the, and to tag on to that, I mean, it's because the situation has changed, right? right. I mean, the, the Augsburg Confession, they're much more, you know, this is our faith. This is what we're saying. We're doing nothing different in our churches than, than has been historically confessed by Christians everywhere uh, from Scripture. Um, but since the confutation comes back, and the confutation is actually presented in the emperor's name. I mean, he affixes his name to it. And so, you know, though the emperor accepted the Augsburg Confession, uh, now now he's attached his name to the confutation, and there's political reasons for that. And so, uh, yeah, now the situation has changed, and essentially Melanchthon, I, I, yeah, they wouldn't have said snarky then, but he's definitely got a different agenda as he writes the apology here. It, in a sense, the bridges have been burned. Uh, they're no longer trying to be uh, conciliatory and to get everything worked out. It is what it is, and if you're not going to agree with us, Melanchthon says, that's cool. We're just going to talk about it how it is. Keep doing our thing. Yep. To bring it back, if I can, to the that phrase, justification and action, I think, and you said, you know, I'm not sure if I like that or not. Well, it's, it's whose action, right? When justification is doing something, what happens is church. Church happens. But see, even that, we hear the word church and we think of us doing stuff, people, as opposed to what we're going to be confessing, I believe, is church is God doing stuff to people, right? Yeah, go. Yeah. Would it be better instead of saying justification in action if we said justification applied? We can. Or, I like justification in action as long as okay. we understand that justification is the actor. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Doing okay. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thought I had running through my head is maybe the phrase church is where justification happens. I mean, is that... Kind of yeah. same yeah. thing, yeah. maybe a I, little more. I, clear. I used to make that point without making the, it exclusive. Yeah, know. about the Lord's Supper. You know, I remember having a conversation uh, one time with someone about um, the gospel, ironically, right outside the sanctuary. <laughs> and I said, "Well, I'm I'm going to uh, go forward to communion now, uh, where where this gospel actually happens, right? Where justification is applied." And so, uh, yeah, the the reason I said I feel kind of on shaky ground is just because, again, we kind of have to do the work to make sure we're identifying what we mean by this, because especially American evangelicalism and culture around us mm -hmm. has just a different understanding of what we mean and what we're talking about. They gospel don't under in action is going yeah. to a food pantry and serving the poor. Yeah, I mean they, that that's what a lot yeah. of people. Will or they're going to hear justification happens at church. They're going to think you're going there. To to do something by which you're earning justification. Didn't Jesus do justification at right. the cross, yeah, right? Yeah. And they're, and they're going to they're going to uh, just pile everything that we've said into, into a, a law format. Uh, there was a question we used to ask at at, at Bethany and Naperville of the Confirmands that was asked this way. It was, do you need to go to church to be a, a Christian? And we would ask this during their final interview, and it was on purpose a trick question because depending on how you answer it, you get it wrong. Do you need to go to church to be a Christian? Well, the place where salvation happens, this, this was the best answer that they we trained them to give, basically. You know, <laughs> to, to be saved, the word of God comes to save you. That happens at church. 
Right. So that was the answer. Do you need to go to church? Which is, so it's yes, you do, because that's where the word happens to you. But going to church is not an act I do in order to earn my salvation. It's something I do to become a Christian, to make myself a Christian. So it's, it is a law gospel issue in a lot of ways. That's a great point. And I mean, that's something really great to teach. I, I feel like you're kind of a jerk pastor for setting up poor confirmands to be tricked with questions. <laughs> we right? gave them the answers ahead of time, and there were only 28 questions. Yeah. Examination my, my is a tough was, thing anyway. My and, daughter and was given the answer. Them. It's yeah. okay. She passed. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. And because because we have family ties in now. No, we've made it personal. Yeah. One other yeah. thing, uh, we we we're, with the justification and action thing, and and the church being the the result of justification. One of the things I've learned to love about the Augsburg Confession is how, at least for the first twelve articles or so, they kind of tell a story and pile upon each other so that article one god creates all things article two sin we have a problem with god it's us article three god has an answer and a solution that's jesus article four what does jesus mean justification for you article five how does it get to you the ministry of preaching and the sacrament article six what does it make you do become innocent and have a new obedience article seven and eight you're not alone there's more of us we are the church receiving this, right? It, it builds upon itself. And, and then, you and have then it rolls into the sacraments. sacraments. 9, 10, 11, yeah. you got the sacraments, and well, does that mean you can be saved without faith? No, repentance is part of this issue, too. So it's it's a beautiful structure. It's a narrative. A, a narrative, exactly. Say something. <laughs> what do you mean narrative? That's a postmodern term. What are you talking about? Uh, narrative is simply there's a plot to it, yes. Pastor Fisk. Yes. There's a story. There's Speak. a story. <laughs> I think he wanted you to. I think he wanted to, you to tell the story. Or, or talk did. about no, the yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the idea of plots and stories and how you could go a lot of places with it. But don't worry about it. We'll let uh, well, Pastor we'll Smith. Let pa- take- Pastor Smith is hosting. He's got it under control. Yeah, I'll <laughs> smooth it all out here. Yeah. Well, no, and I mean that—that that is that was exactly the point of the Augsburg Confession was to present this narrative, this this plot to this is our confession of faith and see this natural progression here. And it's 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 genius in what it does. And um, as we've seen already, as we work through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession here, and we've kind of made jokes, you know, especially, you know, what article are we talking about? Is it four? Is it five? And things, and these things start to become combined together because as you noted earlier, Pastor Hill, I mean, yeah, if if you would actually had read what we presented in our confession, um, then you would see that this is exactly what we mean here. And so now we have to start drawing some of these things together. And that's how how, uh, seven and eight get drawn in together here as well. Any other comments before we actually do a little bit of reading, setting this up? Nope. All right. Great. Everybody could hear loudly you shaking your heads at me. Uh huh. All right. <laughs> Let's dig in. Paragraph one of articles seven and eight of the Church in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. We're working from the Concordia Readers Edition of the Book of Concord. They have condemned Article seven of our Confession in which we said that the church is the congregation of saints. The adversaries have added a long essay stating that the wicked are not to be separated from the church since John the Baptist has compared the church to a threshing floor on which the wheat and chaff are heaped together, Matthew 3.12. And Christ has compared it to a net in which there are both good and bad fish, Matthew 13.47. This is a true saying. There is no remedy against the attacks of the slanderer. Nothing can be spoken with such care that it can escape ridicule. For this reason, we have added Article 8. Let no one think that we separate the wicked and the hypocrites from the outward fellowship of the church, or that we deny power to sacraments administered by hypocrites or wicked men. There is no need here of a long defense against this slander. 
Article 8 is enough to acquit us, for we grant that if in this life hypocrites and wicked people have been mingled with the church and that they are members of the church according to the outward fellowship of the signs of the church, that is, of word, profession, and sacraments, especially if they have not been excommunicated, neither are the sacraments powerless because they are administered by wicked men. Yes, we can even be right in using the sacraments administered by wicked men. I'm going to pause there. Um, Why don't you just do uh, just throw uh, in the next okay. sentence? Just throw the next in the next sentence. one. All right. For Paul also predicts the Antichrist takes his seat in the temple of God. Second Thessalonians two four. Just, yeah, just that because because mm-hmm. when they make that statement, I mean that's something that I think for a lot of Christians is sort of like what what I can receive the sacrament from somebody who's a wicked human being? How can you say that? And and well, the answer is false teaching is always in the actual church and. The Antichrist, insofar as those who deny Christ has come in the flesh, are the spirit of the Antichrist, can be anywhere in the church itself, but it doesn't exist outside of the church. Uh, and, and, and you got to be careful how you say it a little bit here. But so we 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 hold this teaching so that we don't have to question every existing congregation's validity of the sacrament based on how pure or impure the individual pastor serving there is. So it's not like you want to go listen to a false teacher, but we recognize that there is, with wicked people in the church, there's going to be wicked pastors in the church, and it doesn't mean they're going to look wicked or even teach the wrong thing, but they might be secretly doing so. Huh? And it's it's not the point or the goal of the church to have an inquisition every Sunday about who is a true disciple and who is not, and to cast out the... <laughs> the not real good disciples and the real good Christians um, to simply say in the church there are sinners and there are hypocrites and there are people here who are wicked and and to own up to that and that's exactly what the confessions do here uh, the church is not uh, I want to use the term cult of pure doctrine but that's probably going to get me in trouble <laughs> that's been used before that, I know that's yeah, been, been used taken. before yeah. okay uh, but uh, there is the church isn't an exclusive club uh, of the do-gooders of the holy saints who uh, work so hard to keep themselves pure and examine their membership roles. Uh, you know, it's that idea that well, the church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it is, and there's always room for more. Uh, we don't limit those who come to church to receive God's gifts based on their uh, external purity or on their motives or their good intentions or anything else. Here is the gift of God's word. Will you hear it? Glad. Or, uh, sorry, good. We're glad you're here. The, although, I mean, this is easy. we're seeing already how talking about something different for the first time in a year can really trip us up, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and how... These words can go in more than one direction, and that's where the confusion comes from, because it's absolutely true that to be a Christian, you must be a hypocrite in the sense that you, the sin I would do, I would not do, that which I would not do is what I find myself doing. I got the sin living within me that I hate, but I believe in Christ, and I long for him, and all that. You got the, the, the similar situation going on, but that's not the way that the text is using the word hypocrite here. It's using the word hypocrite here to actually refer to somebody who claims to be a believer but is not a believer and to recognize that this also occurs within the Christian congregation and that we can't tell the difference sometimes even up to the level of it being a pastor. That's that's kind of nut stuff. As with so many things, it it really is a tension. I mean, I I love to say that the Christian life is one that is lived in constant tension. Um, And 
and and so on one hand you have to practice discernment you have to you know and what i hearing is is what i am hearing faithful and true to god's word um and if not, do I need to work to call to repentance? Um, and yet at the same time, even as I understand that there may be error in mm-hmm. what I'm hearing and so forth, it doesn't negate the validity of what I receive in the church. Right. Because again, as we made the point earlier, when it's rightly understood justification in action, right? It's God's action. He's the one doing the work. And even if it's being done through wicked people, which, you know, for me kind of draws me back to the Old Testament and King Cyrus, right? You know, the, mm. this wicked guy who fancied himself a God and everything. And yet he's calling Isaiah God's servant, right? Christ, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so this is, uh, you know, this is exactly how God acts at, at different times. And, um, and so it's just this tension that you live in and, and to bring it to the context of what we have here. And, and, and it's been an issue. It was a, an issue at the time of the reformation, uh, for the Lutherans of, you know, what, what is it for us to be church with these guys who are declared heretics and excommunicated from the church that they had only ever known? Um, and then also, you know, the, the adversaries attacking them in, in this sense and so forth. So you have lay people wondering about the validity of the things that they're receiving. In the early days of the LCMS, when our ancestors left Germany and came and settled here, this was an issue again uh, for um, the early Lutherans here. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, it constantly is an issue and we have to hold this intention. We have to be careful of not going out on witch hunts, you know, trying to to root out, you know, to use Jesus' parable, to, to root out the tares, unless mm-hmm. you root up the wheat, too. And I mean, all of this plays in there as well. And uh, and that's a tough tension to live in. I, it, it seems Mr. like Mr. Slayton, as you are a layperson among <laughs> us who, who kind of lives in this tension, I mean, I, I'm interested in your perspective. Yeah, on it this. seems there's there's a, a similar theme that we had back with when we were talking about justification, that is that assurance. Uh, at least in regard to the sacrament here, because I, I, what I see them doing here, they they haven't used the word yet, but I can see this going in the direction of attempting to give assurance to people who have received the sacrament from somebody who they later discover is a wicked person. Because you have to be careful. What Once you start saying that the sacrament isn't valid because of the individual distributing it and who they are, uh, it's not very long before nobody can actually distribute the sacrament. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, this term "wicked men." I you could replace it with just "sinner." I, there, there is that person who is blatantly sinning, who who's out there. You know, pastors having an affair with the secretary, or whatever it is. It's like, okay, there is a problem here. That still doesn't invalidate the sacrament he's distributing. That's a serious problem that needs to be dealt with. Um, versus the pastor where. As far as you know, everything's fine, but he's still a sinner. And if you really knew his heart, you'd have the same doubts, the same way you examine your own heart and have the the same doubts. So I think there's an element of, of assurance that they're trying to give here that you know, it's not about the man standing up there in front. It's about the word. And like you said, Pastor Fisk, at the beginning, who's doing the work here? Mm. It's not that pastor up front. It's God. And the challenge really comes in when we look at we want to look at the pastor, um, but instead, the focus of the sacrament of the altar, the sacrament of baptism, the proclamation of the word as it's read, as it's proclaimed, as it's spoken in the absolution, is ultimately on the word of God. The pastor doesn't make the word of God work. The word of God makes what the pastor says true. 
Um, hmm. And so the the power is in the Word of God. Sinful people want to look at the pastor and say, he's a bum. We shouldn't have to listen to him because whatever. Look at what he did last yeah, Tuesday. Look, look at what yeah. he did on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, or, or whatever the I case may be. I wasn't referencing this show by him. <laughs> Good point. Well said. Uh, but so we end up with wanting to look at the pastor, but faithful pastors simply say, no, the power, the authority, the uh, efficaciousness here is in the word of God. It's not about the pastor. It's about the word. And I think you make a, an excellent point there on what you say by what you look at and what's playing behind all of this is what we would know in our theological terms as the, the visible church versus the invisible church. There's that tension going on here. And uh, I'm going to throw it to Pastor Fist to talk about the visible versus invisible church. Can oh, you really? lay that foundation <laughs> for us? Lay it at me, huh? yeah. well, I, that's what I get to do when I'm the host is that you have to respond. What, that's what Article 7 and Article 8 were really trying to distinguish between. And, and kind of going back to the early part of this conversation in order to condemn us, because they're just in such a hurry to condemn us, they ignore that eight and seven go together and, and that eight confesses that within the church as we see it, there will be unbelievers in this life. Because in seven, we had said the church, properly speaking, is believers only, right? So then they come in, well, it's the net. You got bad fish in the net. See, heretics, kill them, emperor, right? I mean, it's kind of the, the, the approach that they took. But in those two articles, in Article 7 and 8, you have these two different views or perspectives on the church. It's the same church, really, ultimately. You have those who believe in Christ, who have uh, faith in the true God awakened in them by means of grace given. Justification is proclaimed and you trust. And, and now you're a Christian now. That is, properly speaking, eternally the church of God elect and glorious. No unbeliever belongs to that group whatsoever. Yet as we gather around the means which do that thing, the doing of the thing itself, the justifying word and sacraments active in this present age, there are also unbelievers who do gather around it and say, I believe, I believe. And we know this from other places as well, right? Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and yet do not do what I say? Uh, on, the, on the last day when the goats are thrown into the pit, they're not saying, well, we should, we, of course we're going to go here. We never believed in Jesus. He has them saying, you know, we cast Wait, out when? demons in your name and, and prophesied in your name, right? So, so there are then unbelieving people who have deceived themselves into thinking that they're Christians. And this is a terrifying bit of law, by the way. This 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 is absolutely horrifying because if you're a faithful Christian and you and you are a believer, your first question is gonna be, well, how do I know I'm not one of them? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Right? How do and, and the answer there is to it goes back to those things which are given to justify you, which are, by the way, the next article is baptism, absolution, and, and the supper itself. So so visible church is that which we see you go to a building, it's not it's not the building, but you see people gathered around word and sacrament. And you can know that there is Christ's church, and you should, with grace, look upon all them and assume they are Christ's church till they confess otherwise. Yet we also know that mingled in the midst of that are some who do not believe, and properly speaking, they're not the church, although for the moment they sure appear to be. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I preached on uh, Matthew 24, the parable of the virgins, and I started my sermon with, this is kind of the terrifying thing about this parable, is that we would view all of these virgins gathered here as believers, mm. and yet some are shut out mm. from the wedding feast in the kingdom, yeah. um, and, and, and they're, they're looking for them. 
they're 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 anticipating his coming and yet they're shut out yeah. and it's because they didn't have the oil of faith to receive him when he comes and and this is uh this is the terrifying thing about some of those things but as we hold in that tension what you were talking about there with the visible and invisible church this then allows us in this life to 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 interact with one another around this tension i often often say this way i say you know the to to believe in Jesus Christ, to say, I confess Jesus is Lord, right? I'm not going to ever question that. I will say, all right, you're brother Christian, mm-hmm. sister Christian, right? But then when I see you living in ways that don't reflect that faith, that's where I'm going to recognize that there's an incongruity and I'm going to go to you in love and I'm going to say, brother, sister Christian, you, you confess Christ, but what you're doing here does not reflect that. And so that's a place to apply law and gospel here, Right and and to call to repentance, and and that's the wickedness that you were talking about is that you know we can replace sinner here and say yes I too have sinned and and that's where I do need to in love go and say look there's an incongruity here just as my pastor and brother and sister Christians come to me and say look there's an incongruity in what you're you're confessing Christ here but you're living in sin oh wow I better but confess even even in that thing so that. so you know I mean. Pastors have weaknesses, right? So, so let's say that uh, your particular pastor, and we'll just use a really bad example, but you know he doesn't shower. He just decides he doesn't need to, right? And and it's obvious and it's evident. Is the word and sacrament still efficacious through him in spite of his weakness and even his arrogance in refusing to serve his neighbor by showering? Yes. That is not the fruit by which we are to judge teachers. The fruit mm. by which we are to judge teachers is what they say, right? And this gets right. back to even the fruit by which I'm to judge a Christian. I'm not going to judge your heart if you say Jesus is Lord. But if you say Jesus is not really incarnate, he's just a good moral teacher, and I'm still a Christian, now I'm in a situation where I can say no, you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you're not. Right. <laughs> you know, you've denied right. the, the truth. And that goes then for when you flee a false teacher is, is when he doesn't say what is given to be said as opposed to is a, a sinner, a, a human being like the rest of us mingled in this uh, this veil of tears, which is, again, different than what the, the text itself is talking about, but is a reality we, we're wrestling with here. Very Sorry, good I just kind of jumped in and then didn't. <laughs> I was going to say, we've, we've been using the, the, the visible and invisible terminology, which... As as I'm reading this, what I'm looking at is that there you if people are following along, outward fellowship and fellowship of faith are the terms that are being used here in these particular translations. So if anybody's confused, like, okay, where are you getting this hidden, not hidden, visible, invisible? We're getting it from CFW Walther, who used Ooh, visible and really? invisible. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. We're going to break here and we'll come right back and we'll continue talking about the church and justification in action. Thanks for joining us. Concord Matters is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere, since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. Worldwide KFUO salutes our day sponsor on this Tuesday, December 5th, 2017. Today's day sponsor is Richard Von Dock. Today's day sponsor has made a contribution to Worldwide KFUO in thanksgiving to the Lord for his many blessings throughout the years. Once again, we thank Richard Vondock from Caldwell, Idaho, today's Worldwide KFUO day sponsor. Do you know that the Lutheran Women's Missionary League has been proclaiming the gospel message and helping the hungry, homeless, and hurting for 75 years? 
Do you know that over the next two years, LWML is providing mission grants to 22 domestic and international ministries? Do you know that these grants total $2,075,000? Now that you know just a little bit about LWML, visit LWML.org to learn more. That's LWML.org. Live Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Sharif Girgis about the Supreme Court case Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission. Does a baker have a First Amendment right to not be compelled to design and create cakes celebrating same-sex weddings? We'll also discuss John the Baptist preparing the way as we look forward to Sunday morning with Dr. Carl Fakencher. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. KFUO, embracing today's technologies to bring the good news message of Christ to the world. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth or sync up to listen in your car while driving anywhere. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org. On the air, online, and on demand, the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. The Bible Illuminated, in Bibles from the Middle Ages containing beautiful illustrations that bring the Bible to life. One of the most beautiful examples of these illuminated manuscripts on display at Museum of the Bible is the Book of Hours and Psalter of Elizabeth de Bohan, the great-grandmother to King Henry V of England. It contains the Book of Psalms and a Book of Hours, which organize prayers and readings from the Bible to be read at certain hours throughout the day. Illuminated manuscripts were handwritten and embellished by monks and scribes who would labor for years on a single manuscript. And in the years before widespread literacy in Europe, illuminated Bibles became a way for people to learn and understand the teachings of Christianity. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters as we have our compadre of confessing Concordians here, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, Mr. Peter Slayton, Pastor Peter Hill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith. The unanswerable one. Uh, Some things you would never have a way to really torpedo, like... A good intro otherwise, I know, you tell tell me to host, and then you just torpedo exactly what I got, but (laughs) the music's still playing, so we're good. (laughs) Uh, moving on, though, can, talking about really important matters, we are still talking about, uh, as we were before the break, though not still in terms of what we talked about for over a year, which was Article 4 and 5. Still we only refers on. to half an hour now yeah. instead of, yeah. you know, 365 days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, we are talking about Articles 7 and 8 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, the church. And we were just uh, discussing off-air, actually. I'm going to continue this on-air. We were, we were talking about the virgins mm. and um, the, 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 the parable. parable. That's the parable <laughs> of the, the parable. parable for the, the virgins. 
This for is just going downhill there, fast. For anybody else out yes. there giggling now. Well, we were yeah. talking about it before the break, too, and then we continued our conversation. Um, but uh, we were talking about this um, this relation. Now I've just completely lost my train of thought. We were talking about this relationship of, um, you know, kind of the terrifying idea that there are those who are seeking the kingdom, right, looking for the, the return of the bridegroom, and yet some are shut out mm-hmm. and some are not. And, and this is the tension that we're living in here. And, and Pastor Fish, you were starting to say something before we came back from break about this parable. Yeah, and, just, and how just as a here. result of Sharper Iron in, in the morning show I do where yeah. I get to learn from another pastor just about every single day. I, I've always kind of taken that that text to the parable of the virgins, like, let's figure out what the oil is and the oil is going to tell us what we need. And the oil is Jesus or the oil is faith or the oil is the spirit. I've heard all three of those. There's nothing really wrong with any of those interpretations. But the guy who I don't know, I, I can't, I can't hat to who this was because I don't remember off the top of my head, but he kind of said, we don't have Jesus explaining this parable to us the way he does with other things like the sower in the field where he tells us this means this, this means this. So we really don't know what the oil is. And I don't think that that's really even what we're supposed to try to figure out. We're not supposed to try to say, well, they don't have this, but you have this, so you're fine. It was that when, uh, if you look at the text, it's when the bridegroom tarried, when he delayed, the oil ran out. And then they ask, give us some of yours. They say no, and they leave. That is, they they, they act as if the bridegroom's no longer coming in a sense, that they don't have to worry about when he's going to show up like a thief in a night, right? This is all in the context of the destruction of Jerusalem, all that stuff in Matthew 24, 25. And so I think there's something to that comment that the real threat uh, for for falling away is forgetting that Jesus is coming back or deciding that there are other things that are more important than Jesus is coming back. You're going to get to the same place in your preaching through this one way or the other, right? Uh, but but I think that the, the fact that the, the virgins leave is is a more important thing than that their oil ran out in their lamps. Yeah, and, and I think what, what was going in my head is I, I think this is an interesting connection of what we're talking about here in terms of the invisible church or the out, um, um, the, the outward fellowship. I no, think it was. the outward fellowship is outward the, or fellowship the of faith. visible church. Fellowship of faith. That's yes. what yes. I was looking for. Is the invisible church? Um, you know, we're constantly looking for what is it that we can do to distinguish who that is and what we see. And we're talking about a visible matter there. And so I think that that's a, a that's an excellent point. Of we have this kind of tension within us um, to say. I want to be able to tell who's in, who's out, right? What is it, that thing that I need to have that oil in my lamp so that I, you know, and so forth. Instead of, you know, uh, am I living a life of faithfulness here in response to the things that are given to me? Mark says it in his uh, Lutheran Dogmatic series book, The Church, which is phenomenal, by the way. If you've never read it, it's absolutely phenomenal. He says, we can know who the church is and we can know where the church is, but we can never know both at the same time. And that's the temptation is we want to try mm-hmm. to do both at the same time. We can know where you are, where word and sacrament is, there's the church, no matter what. Who Who is the church? The faithful. So when you start trying to look at those gather on word and sacrament, decide who who's really faithful, you can't do it. And, Fish in a net. And that's really above our pay grade. Yeah. We're not called to know uh, if you, if this person is in the fellowship of faith or not. God hasn't called us to that. It is God who knows the heart, and it is God who delivers to us the gospel. And so we receive the gospel with an eager and joyful amen. And we say, yes, Lord, you have given me this wonderful gospel gift. You have provided this faithfulness thanks to you. And then we simply go on 
and we continue to speak that gospel together as the fellowship of the faithful, knowing that around us are also those who are in that um, outward fellowship as well. And that's just fine. We're, we're glad to tell anybody and everybody the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we keep going. And, and that's a th- that, bleh, excuse me. That's just the thing in within the outward fellowship. Whether somebody is a in the true fellowship of faith or not, it doesn't actually change what we say to them. It's kind of a moot point. Yeah, it's like, uh, what are you going to do different? Uh, I'm still going to confess the gospel. Still going to call to repentance as a pastor or one brother to another. Uh, not going to change any of those things, whether they are or not. So. Yeah, let's stop worrying about this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's where I found in my pastoral ministry the comfort of Jesus's words: "For he who has ears, let him hear." You know, you just kind of leave it there. I'm I'm still my job is still to confess the truth here, and and I think tying in with this then too, talking about you know I, your your phrase there, it's above my pay grade. You know, it's you know this doesn't negate the place of enacting church discipline or fleeing from false teachers who are outwardly not confessing um, the truth there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you still practice those things and, and it'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but uh, for right now, I, I think it is important to distinguish that we have this tension of, you know, we, we kind of desire to find out, well, who's in, and who's out and what, what, what are my, what's my line so that I can determine that. So I can justify of, myself exactly. by convincing myself I'm standing in the right spot rather than trusting that Jesus has done enough. It I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, people yeah. like me. And <laughs> it sounds we like go. we're yeah. back on Article 4 again though too. Oh. <laughs> How did hey, that happen? Stop, stop. I said it all year long though. We never leave it. it yeah. Yeah. Never leave it. it. It permeates everything that he does in 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 the Augsburg Confession but also the apology here too. And, I mean each each succeeding article is going to be if you really understood what we we're talking about back there in Article 4, um you would see you that this. this you would get this. Yeah. yeah. Can I bring up something that's totally a a, a different direction here? He he sure. has this uh, and what, now what do you for call something it? completely yes, different. Right. That's right. Oh, man, you guys, are, you guys are making these things. I, I was about to say no one expects the Spanish Inquisition <laughs> because of what he was saying about the witches. So now we're, they, there's a lot of pop culture references going on if you didn't pick up on any of that. So, so in the end of paragraph two, he has this proverb that is not really a biblical truth. But man, is it really good and useful. <laughs> you know, there is no remedy against the attacks of the slanderer. He is expressing how frustrated he and the Lutherans are that they're trying in good faith to say what Scripture says to other Christians who, who or people who purport to be Christians and that they are... They are now having the very words they said in goodwill twisted and used against them publicly to condemn them. And they're saying, look... We can't play nice anymore, right? There's just no way to say this clearly enough that I'm going to win over this person who's insisting on despising me. And that is, to me, encouraging in an age in which, you know, you go pick your pick your poison, right? From the from the radical atheism to the, the, the new age mystic to the whoever that wants to accuse to the to the person that uh, that is is attacking you for being too dogmatic or Lutheran. To, to recognize that, this gets back to the, the job is the same job. You speak the word. You don't try to, to wordsmith or massage it to make it work. And you let come what may, because if you're going to get slandered for it, you're going to get slandered for it. The scandal of, of particularity is going to be a scandal no matter what you do. So just put it out there. The scandal of particularity? Oh, yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah. 
Why that's just talk a, that's too much? a new one to me. <laughs> I'm going to throw that at you, Pastor Smith. What's the scandal of particularity? You guys don't. You never heard I that don't before? know that. I oh no, a... I I have. I was I was just tossing it back out oh, because it's... I because I it is a big a new be, term because my my dear father is listening at home and he hears words like scandal of particularity and then I get a I get a phone call later. I didn't know what that word meant. Oh, I love, <laughs> yeah. I love no, it. the scandal of particularity is this question: Why some and not others? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And and so it's it's just the fancy. I know. I only know the it. Latin term, the crux theologorum. <laughs> oh, okay. sorry, oh. my bad. Yeah. yeah. And so it's. It is exactly that question of why some and not others? Why is it that this person is saved and that person is not? Uh, and trying to get into uh, into God's motives. Mm-hmm. Uh, because ultimately, we want to understand God. We want to be like God. That is the sinner in us. And we want to have that moment of being able to judge others and to judge their faith so that we can decide who's worthy for eternal life and who should be burned in hell forever. Uh, That's what we'd like. And it's scandalous that we don't get to see or know any of that. He leaves us underneath the cross. Well, and it takes us back to the plot again, as we laid out earlier in the first half of the show of the Augsburg Confession itself. There is God, and it's it's his realm. But then Article 2, we have this sin problem, and we want to be God. We want to figure this out. We want to know what he knows. And and, and the only answer for that is what we get in Article 4, right, that... This is justified by Christ, and we need to put our trust and assurance there, especially when it comes to receiving the sacraments and having trust that they're actually doing what they're promised to do, even if received from wicked men. And I, I was looking for um, the quote on this, too. I, Matthew 23, 2, where Jesus himself talks about, you know, uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. Hmm. And I kind of wonder why why Melanchthon didn't work that in here, too, because he, he talks about, um, it's towards the end of paragraph three here, neither are the sacraments powerless because they are ministered by wicked men. Yes, we can even be right in using the sacraments ad- administered by wicked men. I mean, that, that really is a strong tie for me. And even what Jesus says mm. about the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you know, he, he outright condemns them as you have been teaching the people wrong. But yet he says they sit on the seat of Moses. They still deserve the honor that that the is office, due there. Right. right. And, uh, and there it's pointing to, again, what is the seat of Moses? It's, it's the inaction of God through that, right? The mm-hmm. mercy seat. And and so it does take us back to, to Article 4 and justification and trusting the action of God in this. And uh, yeah, I just took us maybe in another direction there. Let's too, say you yeah, need but... to cut Melanchthon some slack. He had a lot on his mind. That's why he didn't come up with that particular connection. <laughs> he needed some I, He had like four days to write this whole thing and he spent the first two days on Article four. I mean, he just, uh, Pastor Smith just spent time complaining that Article 7 isn't longer. Did you guys notice that? I did. I was trying to let that go. Uh, But I I think that kind of what we're actually talking about, I think our conversation has gotten a little bit ahead of where we are in the text. Can we take a moment for the text to catch up with us, Pastor Smith? I noticed the Fellowship of Faith actually comes later. We haven't said that yet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for jumping ahead on us there. Hey, foreshadowing. I'm going to call him Pastor Ill to read then. All right. Pick me, pick me. Okay, picking up in Apology, uh, chap, uh, Apology seven Article 7 and 8, <laughs> paragraph 5. Snicker, snicker. But the church is not only the fellowship of outward objects and rites, 
as other governments, but at its core, it is a fellowship of faith and of the Holy Spirit in hearts. Yet this fellowship has outward marks so that it can be recognized. These marks are the pure doctrine of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments in accordance with the gospel of Christ. This church alone is called Christ's body, which Christ renews, sanctifies, and governs by his spirit. Paul testifies about this when he says, And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. From Ephesians 1. Those in whom Christ does not act are not the members of Christ. The adversaries admit this too. The wicked are dead members of the church. We wonder why the adversaries have found fault with our description that speaks of living members. Neither have we said anything new. Paul has defined the church precisely in the same way, that it should be cleansed in order to be holy. He adds the outward marks, the word, and sacraments. For he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the confession, we have presented this sentence almost word for word. The church is defined by the third article of the creed, which teaches us to believe that there is a holy Catholic church. The wicked indeed are not a holy church. The words that follow, namely the communion of saints, seems to be added in order to explain what the church signifies. The congregation of saints who have with each other the fellowship of the same gospel or doctrine and the same Holy Spirit who renews, sanctifies, and governs their hearts. Yeah. The, the first part of this, I, I, I love what they're identifying here. And as I pointed to earlier in the show, this has been a tension for the, the Lutheran reformers. It was a tension in the early LCMS. And, and I would still say for us today, as we try to identify, well, what is the church? And, and I love what they point to in terms of the outward marks of where you find that true church. And, and in the early days of the LCMS, as I said, this was a, a real struggle and it produced a good work by my guy, CFW Walther, first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Never heard called of Called The True Visible Church. And it's combined in with another volume, The Form of a Christian Congregation as well. Uh, but uh, to read Theses 2 of this, tell me if this sounds familiar. Theses 2 of this says, While the one holy Christian church as a spiritual temple cannot be seen, but only be believed, there are nevertheless infallible outward marks by which its presence can be known. These marks are the unadulterated preaching of the divine word and the uncorrupted administration of the holy sacraments. I mean, this this shows the connection for us that, you know, while, while we have this invisible church, there are outward marks that we can see because we have this tension. We we want to know what. Well, how do I find the church? Where's the church? Where can I, where can I have confidence that the church is being carried out there? And we have the the outward marks, and, word and, I, and sacrament. All right, so I, I, I have a question here coming from a, an American evangelical perspective because coming from the background that I come from, so, hey, this sounds really great. I'm a Lutheran, so when I read these marks are the pure doctrine of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments in accordance with the gospel of Christ. Great, I'm a Lutheran now, so I don't have a problem with that. But as an evangelical, I look at that and say, where are you getting that from? You're just adding that. Everybody knows that the church is simply where two or three are gathered in my name. That's church. 
that's all we need. So for somebody who's who's encountering a Lutheran who says, no, 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 the church actually has a few more things, I'm going to say, no, that's the Catholics added that on later. They just added these things on. That's not actually what Scripture says. How how would you walk somebody through defending this position from Scripture? Because um, I noticed they haven't actually used a lot of Scripture verses to support that exact thing yet. Do you mean um, walk through, you know, how we come to identify the church as the word and sacraments? Yeah, how, mm-hmm. how can we make that statement when, well, from my background, it's just where two or three are gathered in my name, Christ's name. That's what that's that because that's the objection that our Lutherans, our, our friends, are going to encounter. Well, all three pastors were like ready to jump at this at the same time, and so I guess since I'm the host, I, I ooh, need ooh, to ooh. give it to some, Pastor Fisk. I'll let you go, and then Pastor Hill. My question to that individual would be: What does it mean, according to the Bible, to gather in Jesus' name? Hmm. You have to define that somehow, right? If we if I sit down and I I pull out a golden cow. And I, I get together a giant group of Israelites to have a, a, a to get up and play, as the Old Testament says, to put it in nice terms. And we call that cow Jesus. Have we gathered in Jesus' name? And the answer is no. If you look carefully at the text, by the way, of the golden cow and that worship that was going on there, they do call that cow the Lord. All caps, Yahweh the Lord. They use Jesus' name. So getting together and doing whatever I want in Jesus' name is not actually getting together in Jesus' name. How do the scriptures define Jesus' name? Now, I believe in Matthew's gospel, where Jesus says this, that we're two or three gathered, there am I also. He then says at the very end of the book, as he sends his apostles, go out and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So he he links baptism to being gathered in Jesus' name. And then he also says, and teach them to, I would say, observe as opposed to obey. Observe everything that I have commanded you, and therefore I am with you, plural, always to the very end of the age. So clearly to be gathered in Jesus' name is somehow connected to the purity of Jesus' words being in our midst. And baptism, and just go back a couple of chapters, some of those Jesus' words happen to say things like, take, eat, this is my body, which then is pretty important. Do this in remembrance of me. So now we've got word and sacrament being the thing Jesus has said is going to keep us in his name. Yeah. Now that's, that's fast and loose, but it's, it's how I, at the very least pull from that, you know, you got to define what does it mean to be in Jesus name and where are you going to go? I'm going to go to scripture and let scripture tell me what that means. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, it means more word, more Jesus. And the Lord's supper just keeps showing up at least as a pretty definitive set apart, wholly different going on reality that we can't escape. And they all say it means one thing and the rest of your evangelical world, by the way, it says it means something different these days. So, yeah. Peter. And when you fast forward from uh, Matthew 28 to what the church does in the first days of the church after Jesus' ascension, what do they do? They gather in the temple and there they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the proclamation of the word, the breaking of the bread, the Lord's Supper, and... The prayers. To the prayers... I got myself out of order, and now I'm... But you're right. Yeah. Um, losing you're things. Yeah. Um, there's one more. Breaking the bread, fellowship, hymns. prayers. Wasn't hymns one of them? No. And teaching the apostles. Yeah, I'm thinking of the didache. Yeah. You got it, though. You, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, uh, but this is exactly what happens, is from Jesus' commands of 
therefore go baptizing and teaching everything that I've taught you. Then what do they do? They go devoting themselves to the apostles preaching and teaching and to the breaking of the bread. The church is word and sacrament in Acts 2 Mm -hmm. and it continues on in that way uh, through the last couple thousand years and here we are doing the same things in the divine service that the disciples were do or the apostles were doing in Acts chapter 2. They yeah. devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and the question is, I, I would say that it's teaching and fellowship, koinonia. What's the koinonia? The breaking of bread and the prayers is the koinonia is an extension of that. Yeah. It, when I get encountered with that question, if it happens to come in a broad sense like that, uh, I generally go to Acts chapter 2 uh, pretty quickly as, you know, this, this is pretty evident that the early Christians were operating in this way. But I tend to see come in other ways too, especially from American evangelicals. Rarely, I mean, most of the time, they're pretty good with the word. They're devoted to the word. They want the words of God. Um, but they're questioning kind of the sacraments, especially because mm-hmm. for, for a good number of them, they don't well, really have the sacraments. Yeah. Sure. They might have ordinances, you know, which they're following in the command of Christ, but there's no right. benefit to them. And so I usually take it, you know, well, what is Jesus saying? Jesus says, here I am. This is where you find me in action. Uh, often leads me to um, uh, one of the Nagelisms, Reverend Dr. Norman Nagel, uh, you know, who, who would always say, you know, the wrong question is, why do you go to church? You know, because that leads me to talk about myself. Mm-hmm. The right question is, why would Christ have us go to church? Mm, yeah. Because there his word is present, because he is present through his body and blood and sacraments, right? Yep. And so the, this this leads us to um, being able to point to a, a host of passages, as Pastor Fisk was was getting to and then built upon by Pastor Hill and so forth, of uh, a places where Jesus has said, this is where I am for you. Come, get it. All right? Yep. I, I got two at least ideas out of this section here that we're not going to hit. So maybe next next week when we all come back, we can hit this a little bit. But I think it's really interesting in paragraph five when it starts. First, how it says that the church is not only a fellowship of outward objects and rites or, or, or rituals, which is not only means that the church is, in fact, an outward fellowship of, of rituals. We could even almost say traditions, but we don't want to because people misunderstand that, but but of, of physical actions that must be repeated that Jesus started, right? There, there are things Jesus started, which we don't get to get rid of, and they are rituals. They're word and sacrament, right? With that, then, what does it mean to have an uncorrupted preaching of the gospel? I think that's where it gets a little gray and wiggly in there. I mean, uh, at what point uh, is is the pastor just talking and not actually saying anything at all? At what point does that then make it not really church? And, that, and I think that's a fair thing to bounce around. I also think it's interesting in the end of paragraph 8 how they talk about the communion of the saints, and they think that that word communion is the same word as the word congregation. That's so deeply ingrained in them is the idea of both believing the same thing and feasting on the same supper, that to congregate, to gather in Jesus' name, is to commune and nothing less. And this is why, as Lutherans, we have this closed communion reality where we believe that to commune is to be church, and we don't commune with those who would teach something entirely different than us. I, we could spend like an hour on all that stuff there. I, I, just I like how you did air quotes eventually. around closed communion because people could totally see you doing the air quotes <laughs> right. around closed it communion. It comes through the voice. It comes the through the voice. Yeah. <laughs> but this this is a, this is a good point that there there is this tension here. But ultimately, what we to kind of summarize what we talked about today, the church is gathered around the word and the sacraments. 
And even though there are wicked men among this that administer these gifts, we have confidence because we recognize that this is where Christ has promised to be in action. He is in action for you. Dear Christian, take comfort in that Christ comes to meet you in his word and sacraments. Thanks for joining us today. We will be back next week, continuing to talk about Article 7 and 8. And until then, keep confessing, church.